Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 6, and we are reading through the 8th and the 13th verses. Leviticus chapter 6 through the 8th and the 13th verses. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. It is the burnt offering because of the burning upon the altar all night until the morning. And the fire of the altar shall be burning in it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and his linen breeches or pants. Shall he put upon his flesh and take up the ashes which the fire hath consumed with the burnt offering on the altar, and he shall put them beside the altar. And he shall put off his garments and put on other garments and carry forth the ashes without the camp unto a clean place. And the fire upon the altar shall be burning in it. It shall not be put out and the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering in order upon it. And he shall burn thereon the fat of the peace offerings. The fire shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. Father, we do thank you that you have given us this word, though in a lot of practical senses, this Levitical law doesn't really apply to us much. We find that, the, the Lord, there is deep spiritual lessons and truths for us in here, to which, Lord, we would ask that you would illuminate that to our hearts and make it real to us, O Lord, that we may receive nourishment in our spirit here this morning, and we may be all the wiser for the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. So here, New Year's is coming up. Resolutions are a big deal. And oftentimes people say, here's my New Year's resolution. This is what I'd like to do, right? And I know none of you have done that. <laughs> You'd say, no, I've just purposed to do things and that's it. But nevertheless, whether we feel like we're trapped in it or not, it subconsciously influences, I think, almost each and every one of us in this culture. We think it's New Year's. What am I going to do different this year than I did last year? What have I learned from last year that I'm going to fix now? And what is my, what is my chart and my course for the year ahead? We may be thinking some of those kind of things. It's 2019. Let's write a new page in my life here. Let's do something worth it. So some of those things naturally come to your mind. It's like the reset button. I like that when you go to bed every night. It's like the reset button. I feel like, Lord, I don't know. You look over your day and you think, what did I do? Lord, did I do what I should have done? I left this undone. You've got a whole bunch of questions, but you know what? It's wonderful to just put that in the bosom of God, go to bed, and then have a fresh start the next day. Well, here we are coming in the new year. Fresh start, right? My greatest desire as a pastor is to help you do better this year as a Christian than you've ever done before in your Christian life. I, that sounds like a tall order, and I'm not sure how all that works, but I believe that's in God's own heart, and so by God's help, that's what I'd like to do. My biggest concern, and I hope, I, I just want to say this ahead of time, this may seem a little heavy just at first, but it'll be balm, a balm right over it, a nice peaceful balm. But my biggest concern is that I'm going to try to preach with all my person, and only to realize that my words do have sometimes little practical effect. It's, it's comparatively easy to be up here in a pulpit and to preach, but then hoping that it's actually going to help people where they are is an entirely different thing to deal with. 
And that's oftentimes what anyone who wants to help somebody in the Lord faces most of all. It's easier to talk with somebody. It's harder to pray and say, Lord, I hope that actually helped. I hope that it actually did something in the life. And some of this as a preacher could be my own fault. It may be a lack of anointing on my part, but some of it also is the, is the fault of the hearer. Because with what measure we meet, with what we hear, what we do with it, how intently we listen is going to affect what we do with it, right? If we think it's important enough, then we'll do something about it. If we don't, we kind of leave it off. So there's kind of a twofold responsibility here. I just want to start by us examining ourselves and answering this question. Do I purpose to drink in God's truth so that it affects me? Not just today, but at any, any days when we come together and we gather together and worship and we hear God's truth or even when we have our own Bible reading time. Do I purpose to drink God's truth in so that it affects me? Another question, do I purpose to walk in the light that God shows me even this morning? Do I purpose to, and I'm not talking about you need to walk in the light that I've given because I can't give you light. I can only speak the truth and then God gives you light. So you're purposing, am I purposing to walk in the light that God gives me this morning through, through whatever medium he chooses and however am I going to walk in it? Number three, will I continually seek God through the Holy Ghost to enable me to rise to the heights that he wants me to go. Now remember, we're not saying, Lord, I'm going to climb this ladder and I'm going to be a better Christian than I ever was before. It's a cooperation with the Holy Ghost. And the only way it works is if we're willing to let God do that in me. And I'm going to say yes to him as I realize him showing me whatever the next step is. So it's a tandem effort. Will you do that? Will you continually seek God through the Holy Ghost to enable you to rise to the heights that he wants you to this year? If we can't answer affirmatively to these questions, then just pray that God will not harden your heart by hearing truths and not doing something with it, because that's a great danger as well. We can so hear the same things over and over again that we become unaffected. But we say, Lord, don't let my heart be like that. Don't let it be hard, rocky, and flinty. I want it to be soft. I want it to be able to be that when you speak, it gets in and it does something to me. I don't want to be like, I've heard something from this portion of scripture before. I've heard that before. I don't want to be like that, Lord. So protect my heart from being hard. And so I think we're a church family, right? And as a, as a church family, we're trying to walk with Jesus, the Son of God. I hope that's every one of our purposes, and I trust it is. That's what we want. We want to be closer to Jesus. We want to walk with him. We want to please him. We don't just want to do the bare minimum to get by. We love Jesus, and love reaches far beyond just the bare minimum. It's, Lord, I just love you. I just want to, I want to do this. I want to do this, whatever it may be. We have such a, a willing and an open heart that we, we show and express our love. We're hoping to live in eternity forever, right? In this eternity will be the most spotless purity and holiness that you and I have ever seen. It'll be the most wonderful home that you and I could ever dream of. We'll be there and every sadness and sorrow, any twinge that's ever touched us will be gone. It'll be everlasting bliss in the presence of a holy God and all of his holy angels and holy saints that have been redeemed and washed in the blood. 
God help us to take our walk with him very seriously. I don't mean, you know, with just a rigid face that cannot have any emotion, but I mean it's important. Let's take our walk with God with seriousness and importance so that when we stand before Jesus, we don't have any reason to be ashamed when we look up in his presence. And we need to pray for one another as we look into God's truth. And as these days go by, that the Lord will help all of us together because we're part of his body. So we had read about the burnt offering and then putting on the burnt offering the whole burnt offering and what had taken place to this burnt offering and what they had to do with the ashes and so forth. Just by way of introduction, I just wanted to tell you an account in history of a man named Cranmer. Uh, in the time of great persecution there in England under Bloody Mary, the queen who had uh, affinity towards the Catholic Church and the Catholic Church was being brutal at that time towards anybody that had gone against anything to do with their doctrines. There were men that were so concerned that the farm boys and all the other people that didn't have the Latin education would be able to read the word of God themselves. So there was this whole movement kind of underground going and this Protestantism started to rise up, which they were saying, wait a minute, what they were telling us and what we found inside this Bible are two different things. And they're thinking, we can't do that. We've got to answer to God of this book. And so then that became such a widespread conviction among people that then they started to to say, we can't go this way anymore because what they're teaching isn't right and we can't do this. One of these men, Cranmer, was a very studied man and he is a very influential man. I'm going to leave a lot of things out concerning the guy, but this one point. After a little while, he was thrown into a prison and he was mistreated very poorly, didn't have the necessities of food and whatever privations and such. There he is sitting in a cell. Now it's like the devil that when he can't get you one way, he'll try and get you another way, right? That's what happened to this man Cranmer. There he was in the most gruesome situation and he didn't turn his back on God at all. But then they took him out and they put him in some man's house and fed him and gave him, clothed him and gave him luxury. Now, you can imagine what that would do to you if you were stuck in an awful position for quite a while and suddenly the tables turn. It would feel like great relief, wouldn't it? Well, they knew what they were doing and they did that to this man. And slowly they gave him some very ambiguous, I don't know what you'd call letters to sign off that he agreed with them. First, they were not very distinct. Do you believe this, this and this? Yes, I do. He'd sign it off. Every so often, it would get more and more distinct until the last letter that he wrote, basically, he ascribed to all the things he had just previously denounced and said that he believed all of it was true, and he wrote it with his hand and signed it. Naturally, the church officials at that time went out and published it throughout the entirety of uh, England there, try, and probably farther out into the remotest areas that wherever it re- had reached because of the influence of this man Cranmer. So it went out and you can, a bunch of the people that were loved Jesus and were walking with God hung their heads. They were very sad to think that this man had risked all this and now he's turned his back on God. Because of some things that he had done, he still had to face a public execution because he had done something against the law. So far as their laws were concerned, he had stood up against the king. He had stood up against uh, any, uh, whatever the edicts were that they had put out, he had stood up and said, this is wrong. So he still had to face 
trouble for his decisions, regardless that he had just recanted from his previous position. So he's going to go up there, and one of the, uh, I can't remember what the guy's name was, he, he was one of the, uh, somebody who was officiating a Catholic man, standing up and saying, here's what he's done. He's turned everything over, and you'll hear from him in just a minute. In the midst of him doing this, this Cranmer fell on his knees and was weeping and crying and praying. And so after a little while, they gave him some space. He was able to stand up and then publicly say what he needed to say. And the, and the officials were thinking he was going to just describe the very thing he signed on that paper. He stood up and he said, what I did was wrong. I signed it off on this paper and I did everything against my conscience in signing it. And he said, I'm not worthy to enter into that heaven of heavens. And he said, neither is this wretched hand. And they were going to take him and burn him at the stake. And he said, the first thing that's going in the flame is this wretched hand that signed that wretched paper because it's not worthy to enter into the glories of heaven with what I've done with this hand. And so this man, he had repented because he had turned his back and, and recanted. He repented at the last moment in death and they tied him to the stake. And sure enough, when the flames started to go, Cranmer stuck his hand in the flame until it burned off a stub. And there was nothing left of the man's hand but ashes. And in that time, there were so many that were burned at the stake there and their bodies into heap of ashes. And a lot of these people, the triumph that was on their face was, I don't care what's going to touch me, how it's going to work. My life will burn brightly for God all the way to the end. And they proved it with their own lives. There their ashes lay, but from those ashes, they rose into an eternal life. And so as we're looking at these ashes on this continual uh, burnt offering fire here, these ashes we find are the ashes of the sin offering and the ashes of a burnt offering. I should say in this particular section of scripture, it's the ashes of the burnt offering. But I do want to say that in the sin offering, it's the same thing. Ashes need to be pulled off to the side. So you think about your devotion to God or your walk with God or whatever and the things that hang heavy on your own heart. There's ashes that are there before you. And you're looking at these things, trying to figure out what you're going to do. So ashes came from the sin offering in the Old Testament. It may be the same in your own life. There's a guilt that hangs down upon you that is pretty heavy. So these ashes are from guilt. These ashes that lay next to you, next to that burning fire that you're hoping to soak and walk with God with a perfect devotion, these ashes are next to you. These ashes of guilt, some of it could be because you sinned, because you've done something you know you shouldn't have done, and it, and it weighs heavy on your heart. So there's the ashes of the guilt from your sin. Some of it, however, can be ashes because of self-condemnation. Sometimes what happens is you and I look at our imperfections and we feel like we can't lift our eyes up to God. Sometimes because of our imperfect mind, and I'm not talking about something wrong morally in our heart, I'm saying we don't get things in our mind so well, and because of that, you and I do or don't do certain things. And then when that comes to light, we look at it and we feel ashamed because of those imperfections, because we think, man, that wasn't quite right. 
We look back over a day. We look back over a week. We look back over a month. We look back over the year and we can see failures behind us. And I'm not just talking about blatant sin. I'm just thinking failure. Oh, Lord, I failed. There, I failed. I wish I'd done this. I wish I didn't do that. We've got all this that hangs upon us. And so we get these ashes of self-condemnation. We may get these ashes because as we, with all of our hearts, want to seek after God, we start to go out in prayer and we're looking for God's presence. And as we pray, we think, where is he? What have I done wrong? Why is God not near to me? And we heap the ash on ourselves again. We think that as we're seeking God in prayer, we're not quite earnest enough. I don't quite have that burning heart that I feel that I should have. And we heap ashes on ourselves. We look at the time of prayer and we, we hear about others' testimonies and how sweet it seems their communion is with God. And then we look at our own time in prayer. And I think to myself, Lord, I don't have reality like it sounds like that person has. And we heap ashes on ourselves. The problem with ashes are, first of all, if we look at a fire, we used to heat with a wood stove when I was a kid. My dad made this out of hardware cloth in a five-gallon bucket. It was a metal bucket. <laughs> we were Polish, but we weren't too Polish. So we had a metal bucket with this hardware cloth that he had molded to shape for the top side of the bucket. After the fire had kind of died down, we'd take a shovel, we'd put it in, we'd stick it on this, you'd put the top in the bucket and shake it, and the ashes would drop and the burning coals would go back in the stove. Because if the ashes stayed in there, you need some of them on the bottom as like an insulation, but if you allowed the ashes over top of the whole thing, it was harder to get the fire started, or it would just kind of smolder out and your wood would more smoke than it would catch on fire. So we would do that, move it out of the way, and then get that glowing again to burn. So you and I understand that. Maybe you've been at a campfire before, and you're sitting there, and the fire dies down, and you can almost hardly see anything in there. You can see, like, little curves of orange in the midst of the ashes, and certainly you can feel some of the heat. But you and I understand the ashes cover the coals. It'll smolder the fire, and eventually it'll just die and suffocate under the weight of the ashes. And you and I have to realize that if we have the ashes of guilt because of sin we've done, or we've got the ashes of guilt because of self-condemnation that's not really condemnation coming from God, but because of our own makeup and what we're thinking about and what failures we may have perceived or imperfections and whatever, and even our performance. Lord, I'm not even half the man that some of these other people are. I've read stories about Corey Tenboom. I'm not even close to this lady. We have all these thoughts. We see all these great things that people have done for God and we look at our lives and I think, I'm mediocre at best. And the ashes start to cover the embers. And it will dampen and smolder today's joy. It'll dampen and smolder today's joy because you won't see the face of the Son of God so long as those ashes are heaped on you. <clears throat> It'll dampen your prayers because you'll feel like you don't even have anything to go to God about. I don't even feel worthy enough to approach God because of all this ash, because of all my perceived imperfections and all the sins maybe I've done, everything. I can't even look up into God's face. So it smolders our praying. It smolders our love, not only for God, but for other people. Because now with the ashes heaped upon ourselves, we're not assured of God's love and we're kind of more absorbed with our own condition than we are with the condition of maybe others that are around us. And so the, that even smolders our love. It smolders our hope. And if you and I have no hope, then you and I have no motivation. So it makes it very awful to walk this Christian life if the ashes are heaped on top. 
and we go about walking like that day after day after day. We do it because we know we should, but oh my, it's a weight. It's a drudgery. It smolders today's focus. You and I can't see. We've got ashes over our face. I'm more precisely with me, I've got glasses. If I put ashes on my glasses, you can't see. If we allow those ashes to sit there and remain, then you and I don't see clear anymore. It'll smolder today's zeal. Really, I guess zeal is kind of linked with the motivation. That conquesting for God, it'll smolder it. Those ashes will kill it. Eventually, it'll die out the fire inside the heart. The fire of God's own presence will die out inside of the heart because those ashes heaped up. Again, we talked about it being from that sin offering, but also from the burnt offering. So the sin offering, that one, the innards were placed on the altar and the innards were burned. And then there was a heap of ashes from the sin offering. The body, the skin, the head, the legs, the refuse, that went off to a clean place. The innards were burnt there on the altar, but there were still ashes after that. But we are also talking about the burnt offering. The whole burnt offering, everything went up there and the whole thing was consumed, not a part of it taken away. There it was, burnt on the altar, it was all for God. That also left off a pile of ashes. Those ashes, whether it be from the sin offering or whether it be from the burnt offering, the whole burnt offering, had to be removed from there. They had to change their clothes from their priestly garments, pick up those ashes, remove them outside of the camp into a clean place, which they did. That place outside the camp, we could look at something like that and think, you know, that's got to be somewhat of a filthy place. However, the Bible says that we were to remove or they were to remove those ashes out to a clean place. And I wondered about that. What does that mean? It's a clean place out there, but it's full of ashes, burnt ashes. That's instructive to me in just a minute. But out there in that place, it's decentralized. It's not in front of their faces anymore while they're doing the ministry of the temple. It's not beside the altar there anymore. It's outside of the altar. It was done. It really happened. There really were ashes, but they didn't leave them there. They moved them outside. So it's decentralized. It's not part of their worship there anymore. It's also kind of forgotten. They're moving forward. They've got other offerings that need to be put up on that altar and burnt up. They don't need those ashes there anymore. They've got more coming, right? That is a holy place in God's sight, which helps us to understand that yesterday's ashes are a holy offering in God's sight. Yesterday's ashes, even if it's the ashes of your sin that you've laid in at the feet of Jesus and he's burned all that up, cleaned you up, saved you and made you a new creature, even those ashes are a holy offering to God. Certainly after we've been saved, when we give our all to Jesus and we give it all up for him to burn us up with his own presence and to use us like he wants to, yesterday's ashes are holy to God even though they're decentralized and not put in the focus and taken off to the side, it's still precious in his sight. We have to realize sometimes when we look at those ashes, it looks like to us those failures. We look at that ash heap and all we think about is I don't want to think about that anymore. I don't want to think about my failures. I don't want to think about my imperfections. I don't want to think about all these things anymore. However, they're precious to God. Yesterday's devotion is precious to God. Yesterday's service of love is precious to God. Yesterday's best, though in your estimation, may not have looked very good, 
you did your best. Yesterday's best and the ashes of it are still precious to God. Yesterday's offerings belong to God. They were removed, those ashes, and put out into the holy place. That's God's place. He said to put them out there. Yesterday's ashes are God's. You and I shouldn't trifle through them anymore. Leave them in the ash heap. They're God's. There they are out in that clean place as a memorial. There they are all burnt up. The memorial, if it was sin, that God did burn up my sin and there lay the ashes. The memorial of God did accept my whole burnt offering. He accepted my service. He accepted my prayers. He accepted my efforts, though they seem imperfect or like failures in my sight. There's the memorial of them. God accepted them. They were burnt up on that altar and they were all consumed as a pleasing sacrifice to God. And there's the ash heap. It's a memorial. It's a witness. These acts of love and obedience and devotion are when we can appreciate even the ash heap. When I can look at the ash heap and say, there it is. It's in the bosom of God. It's already been burnt up. It's already risen up into his nostrils, as it were. And it's holy God's. But we need to remove those ashes because there's something else that needs to happen today. There's a fresh offering that needs to go on this altar today. So those ashes need to be cleared out. So I would say to you this. Here we're going ahead in this new year. You've got a lot of thoughts probably about the past year, about what you feel like you did or didn't do, how you failed or how you've succeeded. I have no idea. If it's sin, you can come to the feet of Jesus. You can get that washed in his blood and you can have those ashes moved out onto the ash heap. If it's your your service and whatever, it's already been burnt up for God. He already knows all about it. It's there in the past. It's, It's already been done. There it is in the ash heap. You and I now need to move forward. We need to realize those ashes as precious things in God's sight. And here we go. We're moving on into 2019. You and I, we're marching. Whether we like it or not, here we go. (laughs) We're moving on. Those ashes are going to stay in the ash heap. I'm not going to put my hands inside there anymore. I'm going to thank God I had the opportunity to live this last year and to do it all that I had done and to do it to the best of my ability according to God and in faith in Him. I've done it and there it lays and there it stays. But today is a fresh day. 2019 is a fresh year. When I come to God this morning, I want those ashes gone from yesterday. I'm coming to put fresh fuel on the fire. And we think fresh, right? You and I understand fresh. We go to the grocery store. I think my wife's better at this than I am. Maybe it's because my patience isn't as as large as hers when it comes to this. But we go to the store and you look at berries inside of containers. Like if I'm out, can you pick up uh, two containers of strawberries? Yes. So I'm pulling them off. It looks great on the, on the top. And you look, oh, you look in the underside and put that one back. Oh, I don't know. There's no mold on here, but that one's kind of bruised up. And, and then she's told me if they get all bruised and smashed like that, mold will be on those real quick because there it is all ripe and juicy and sweet there and it won't last very long. So she tried to tell me how to do that, right? You and I want fresh, don't we? I don't want yesterday's goods. I want fresh. They even do that in bakeries and such things. Even though there's loads of stuff baked that are all right there. And by the way, I'd eat it. But they would throw it away because it's not fresh, right? Freshness. The desire of freshness is just about everywhere. You don't want to go to the store and buy something spoiled. You want it fresh. And likewise, our spiritual experience with God has got to be fresh. 
It's got to be fresh today. I want it to be fresh today. It's not like you've got to do it or else. It's like I want to experience God fresh today. Yesterday's grace isn't enough for today. And Jesus, or it's even been told us in the Old Testament, he said yesterday's manna wasn't enough for today. When the children of Israel were out there collecting the manna, that wasn't enough. They had to get a new supply each and every day. And you and I have to do the same thing. So we come to add fresh fuel on the fire. What's the fresh fuel? Perspective. A fresh perspective today that I didn't have yesterday. Sometimes you and I won't get the fresh perspective, though, until we go through some things. When we go through some things, all of a sudden God's word means something else to us than it ever has before. Because we've been given a fresh perspective. I'm just going to share something personal with you. Um, I was praying not too long ago, last week or so. And then again, earlier this week, something had come up into my mind and heart, which really helped me. But it was, Lord, how come this isn't happening? Or Lord, why isn't it that this person is, is going in this direction? What's happening? Would I, am I, if I mess this up, that's the first question you would ask, you know, as a person, what, am I not doing something right? But why is it not happening? Why aren't these things going to happen in this way, in this way, in this way? And all these questions come up. In addition to that, and I'm not saying this for any other reason except for illustration, um, just this past like week, week and a half, this, I, I've, the whole time I've been here, God gave me a touch before I came here with the lime, and I've had no issue with it whatsoever. Uh, I say whatsoever. There's been little twinges of things, but it's been nothing. Just this past week, week and a half, it's been like that, where it's all just kind of surfaced up again. It's been pretty hard. And I thought, Lord, now I, I feel like I can't do anything. I feel like I'm useless. What am I supposed to do now? How do I even handle this, Lord? All of this, and I'm praying, and I need help, right? Here's the perspective. Concerning why isn't this happening with this situation with other people, the Lord said to me, if that's how you feel, what do you think I feel about that? Then the Lord helped me to realize this. Eric, I'm working in you patience. But I understood it entirely different than I've ever understood it before. And it was this way. Sometimes we as Christians think God is making me more patient. And there is a part of that which is true because you and I have to say yes to God as he's working in us for anything to even happen. But the thought that had come to my mind was Jesus is living inside of me. And what he is doing is his patience is being exercised within me according to my will. So Jesus feels these griefs, these questions, these trials of patience, and am I going to walk with him or not through it? And so he said to me, what do you think I feel about these situations? Perhaps where you are concerned about people. Why aren't they walking in this way? Or why aren't they responding to your spirit, Lord? How do you think I feel, Eric? That changed everything for me very quickly. Then I realized, Lord, if you can handle that, then I can. If that's how you feel, then I want to walk with you. I was before thinking this was me, but then I realized it was him and that changed everything. Then in addition to that, the same thing with this, with, you know, my physical thing right at the moment, it was the same thing, a fresh perspective. It was, Eric, I'm working my patience in you. And then I think about Jesus who is up in heaven 
who had all the power of God Almighty because he's God, then he limited himself to come down here on earth. How many times do you think Jesus may have wished in his own heart that he could have done certain things at times while he was here in bodily form, but because he had limited himself, he didn't or couldn't? Where he could have just fixed something like this. He could have changed this situation, situation just like this instead of bearing the grief and pain of his own heart, but he wouldn't do it because there was another purpose, right? So I thought Jesus has felt like an eagle cramped inside of a cage where they can't open their wings up and fly like they'd like to. He's felt like that. So you see, we have to push our ashes aside because there's some freshness that you and I need. This is something the Lord's just helped me with. And I've asked the Lord, don't let me forget this because I'm liable to. I don't want to forget this. It was fresh perspective. If the ashes were in the way, all I'd be concerned about is the ashes. I wouldn't be able to see through that. But I say, thank you, Lord, for giving me a fresh perspective. Not only in that fresh fuel do we find a fresh perspective, but fresh mind. A new way of thinking, which I guess could be put together with our perspective, but a fresh way of thinking, you know, renewing our mind through the word of God, thinking like he thinks. It's a fresh start today. And the ashes are put behind, so I want a fresh start, Lord. Maybe I failed yesterday, but Lord, I'm, putting that, I'm leaving that there and I'm not going through the ashes again. Lord, here I go today. I need your help. And he said, here's a fresh start, my son. Here's a fresh start, my daughter. This is for you today. Now you can apply yourself to the grace of God today. And you can do a little bit better today than maybe you did yesterday. Yes. Lord, help us. It's fresh heart, a renewed heart. Fresh hope, fresh divine energy from God today. Lord, I've got things that I have to face today that I didn't have to face yesterday. I need hope today so that I can spring up and go through whatever's up, coming up ahead. Sometimes we know what's coming up ahead and that feels like a weight. And sometimes you and I have no idea what's coming up ahead. But I need a fresh hope. I need a fresh divine energy to flood into my soul so I can walk for today. There needs to be a fresh consecration. Once again, you and I, you can make a once and for all and say, Lord, here's my life. Take every aspect of it. I'm laying it on the altar. I'm not picking it up. It's yours and I'm not going to touch it again. I want you to have all of me. We can say that once and for all. That's how somebody enters into a sanctified experience. That's where God cleanses the heart from inbred sin. When we give him all and the offering's acceptable on the altar and he burns up that inbred nature of sin and removes that out of the heart and makes us wholly human like he wanted us to be without this mixture of sin, a dominion of sin inside of the heart. So that happens when you and I make that consecration, but you and I have to walk that out every single day. You and I have to live in light of that which we've given to God at some period of time back there. That doesn't mean I do that and then live however I want. Now I need to live according to the promise that I made. Lord, here's everything. I've given it to you and I'm not picking it back up off the altar. I'm going to walk and it's all under your care and your direction. It's all yours. So it's a fresh consecration every day and the fresh day of opportunities before us, which helps us realize that removing these ashes 
and pushing them off to the side and gaining this freshness, we realize the idea of maintenance, just like they did in the Levitical law and in the priesthood. They had daily maintenance there in the temple. In order for God's worship to continue to go forward, they daily had to do things, and sometimes repetitive. And you and I in this particular day sometimes are sick and tired of those repetitive, mundane things that we have to do. I feel like, again, oh, again, oh. But that is the building block of life. That's where consistency comes in. You and I have to do that. We have to maintain. That's just part of existence. And so when we're coming to God, after those ashes have been moved about and we've gained that freshness, you and I are maintaining our spiritual life. You and I are maintaining our walk with Jesus, maintaining our vision, maintaining our brightness in a dark world. We've got to go in there in the presence of God, let the ashes fall off the coal and then go back out the living coal in society so people can see because they're blind. And Jesus said that we don't light a candle to hide it under a bushel, right? So that's why it's important, you and I, as we go forward today and throughout this year, Lord, I want maintenance. I wanna maintain this reality and this truth and this vibrant walk with you, Lord. We also see that in this maintenance, they had to salt the offerings. It says that the offerings were salted with fire and with salt. So salted with fire, that helps us realize something. It's consumed, right? That's the nature of fire. It consumes whatever it gets a hold of, right? If we let it go to its end, it consumes what it gets a hold of and it burns all of it up. Fire can also be looked at as a purifying agent in some respect. They do that with silver where they can heat it up and the silver runs off down the trough while the junk stays behind and they scoop it out. Now they've got a pure silver. So fire can be used in that way. So can salt. Salt can be used as a cleansing. Salt can be used as preservation. Salt can also give variety. The Bible says, I don't know the exact wording now, but the, the thought is this. What kind of taste is there in the white of an egg? None. How many of you just like to have an egg? Just, you know, they, they put it in a frying pan, no butter. I don't know how they pull that off, but no butter. They put it in the egg, they put the egg in the, in the, in the pan, get it all cooked up for you, set it on your plate, no salt. Mmm, thanks, that's so good. <laughs> Even hard-boiled eggs, you like to put a little salt on top of it, right? Because when you get into that yolk, you're about going to glue your mouth shut. <laughs> you know, you at least want something pleasant coming out of this experience. <laughs> My mouth's going to be glued shut. I want it to taste good. Salt helps bring out the taste in what's already there, right? God wants to salt your life, too. He wants to bring out a taste in your life that's savory of Christ so that other people can experience different aspects of Christ that they can only experience through you. And so that maintenance, daily maintenance, though sometimes it seems like again, 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 of course. But how many of you think about this? Ah, oh, it's morning again. I got to eat breakfast again. It's noon. I got to eat lunch again. It's dinner. I got to eat dinner again. I never think like that. I'm like breakfast. All right. Lunchtime. What's for lunch? You know, that's normal, isn't it? Spiritually, same thing. That maintenance that maintenance really is the devotion, giving everything over to him daily. 
Here's my life, Lord. Here's my opportunities for today. And I don't even know what some of them are, but it's all yours. Here's my mind. Think your thoughts, Lord. Here's my ears. I only want to listen to what you want me to listen to. Here's my mouth so that I only speak what you want me to speak. Here's my eyes, Lord, so that I only look at things that are pleasing in your sight. Here's my hands to do only what's pleasing to you. Here's my feet to go only where you want me to go. Here's my heart to love only what you want me to love. It's all yours, Lord. It's all yours. And we come to God like that every day. If the ashes are there, it's hard to do that. It's in the way. I can't put that sacrifice on the altar and allow God to consume it because there's ashes in the way. It's not cleaned out. Now I'm burning up old and new at the same time when the old was already burned. Might as well put that off the side, right? It's the maintenance, that devotion each and every day that you and I want. We are then going, if it's again, like I said, if it's sin, then we just confess it, get it taken care of, get it put under the blood and move on and go forward. If it's the burnt offering, then again, we put ourselves up before God in the morning when we're praying, we say, Lord, I'm here this morning. I need to hear from heaven right now. I need your help. And then we start reading the Bible and God starts talking to me about something. And I say, Lord, I want that. I want that, what you're talking about right here. I need that. Lord, I need help right here. Or Lord, thank you for that. That unravels something that I've been struggling with for a little while. Oh, Lord, thank you for that. I see that I shouldn't do that anymore. Or thank you for this warning, Lord. Don't let me go down that road. And here you and I find that God's talking with me and I'm talking with God. And all the while I'm communing with him and I am maintaining the life of the son of God within me. So I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, and I'm doing what God wants me to do. Because he said, if we're like a man that looks in the mirror, we could be like a man that looks in the mirror and turns away and forgets what we look like if we don't hear God's word and do it. So we need to do that, right? We need to obey. All of it will lead back to the cross. All of it leads back to Jesus. All of our service and devotion, it all pours back right into the lap of the Son of God. And it's pleasing in his sight to see it. And when he does that, naturally, when you're pleased with your child, what do you do with your child? Praise him and you dump blessings out on top of him. What do you think it's like when you and I love Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind and strength? We're devoted to him. We walk with him every day and we're doing those things that are pleasing in his sight. What kind of a heart are you and I going to have? We're going to have a heart that's blessed with communion with Jesus himself. You're going to know the nearness of God in a way like you haven't known it before because he can't help but just dump the blessing out on you. He's so thrilled and pleased with you and you walking with him. And all the while he's helping you do it. It's like when you're helping your little kid to walk, you're pulling them up by the two hands and they're walking like this, you know, and they walk on their toes. If you weren't holding on their arms, they'd fall right on their face. The whole time, though, you're going, wonderful. That's a good boy. You're walking or that's a good girl. You're walking. If the baby had any sense, they'd realize, no, you're holding me. <laughs> right. And there's a bit of that that you and I have to realize as we're thinking about God. And as we're thinking about what he's doing, all of his grace is coming to assist and aid us. And so much of it's him. The only thing he's asking of me is yield at heart. And when I yield my heart to him, he enables me and empowers me in ways that then he can't help but be pleased with. And he just pours blessing out on us and he dumps out his favor on us. Sometimes you and I will walk in a space of dryness 
or we may walk in a space of darkness or confusion. But you and I have to realize, I'm just going to keep walking with God anyways right now. It's the same with a child. We try and tell our children, look, even if mama or papa are not here, you should do what's right solely because it's right. So there may be things where my children do things that are right that I don't see, that I don't praise them for because I didn't see it. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't see things, but I'm just telling you that we can see something of similarity like that in the physical realm. So when you're going through a period of darkness, confusion, or dryness, and you're thinking, what's going on, Lord? Where are you? Don't get disrupted and throw everything away. Just keep doing what you know is right and walking with him. And he's going to help through that. We're maintaining our reverence. We're fearing him like a, like a good earthly father. Now, some of you may have not had a good earthly father. But if you could think about the best father you could ever have in the entire world and then think of God like that and have a healthy fear for him in that respect because of who he is, you and I need to maintain that. We need to maintain that healthy fear. I don't want to offend him. I don't want to do the things that he doesn't want me to do. I love him. I don't want to sass to him. I don't want to talk to him in such a manner that just degrades him. I love him. I respect him. We want to maintain that and maintaining that fire. And whatever you and I do, do not let anything extinguish the fire. So as we're moving into this new year, you and I need to realize that God wants us to take last year, throw it on the ash heap, let it rest right there. You've done the best you could. Now you're going to learn and do better this year solely because you're going to know more, because God's going to help you. And if you've sinned and you've done something you know is wrong in his sight, bury it at his feet. Let his blood wash through and through and forget it. Let the ashes of the sin offering be taken outside the camp and let it stay there as a memorial that God did take care of my sins. Whatever we do, do not let yesterday's ashes remain today. Do whatever we need to do to remove the ashes out of the way and come fresh before the presence of God and get a fresh touch and fresh hope, and a fresh direction. And may God help us each one as we're going forward in 2019 to do that very practically.